0: present with us last evening, I talked a little bit about why Foundations for Life and why we call it Foundations for Life. We started seeing in hurting people five common things that were almost always present. And so this teaching was put together out of wanting answers and wanting to help people see that God's word had the answers to life's problems. And so we talked about how that that Satan is a liar. He's the father of lies. He wants to deceive us. And the number one thing that we looked at last night was he wants us to have wrong concepts about God. That's what he started out from the very beginning. He deceived Eve into causing her to see God as a withholder instead of a total provider. God was a total provider. And Satan will get you to doubt that too by asking you questions just like he asked Eve. God said, you can eat from every tree except one. Satan said, did God really say you can't eat from every tree? You see, it didn't change God's nature, but it changed Eve's concept of God. Do you see that? Her concept of God got changed, and when that concept got changed, it totally altered her choices and her decision-making. And so when we have wrong concepts, when Satan, the enemy, gets us to believe lies, it will have an impact on the way we make decisions in life. It will influence our relationships and the, it'll, with, with, with God and with others. So this is the second one. And so this is an, and the reason why it's foundational is because all five of these teachings I see are very foundational for us to build a, re, a, a life of loyal faith in the, in the Creator God who made us and wants to have, intimate relationship with us. He wants to know us completely. Jesus says, and we looked at that scripture last night, that this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God. And we looked at the concept of what is, who is this true God? You see, if Satan can get us to doubt what God is like, then the God that we believe in, the God that who God is to me, isn't the true God. It's a warped concept of who God is. And God wants us to know who he is and know it accurately. Now, the next thing that that he can really mess us up with is is identity. You know, who are you? You know, when when I asked you the question, who are you? And you would say, well, who am I? Well, I'm Jason Reed, who are you? Okay, and we get our identity from from somewhere. And identity is so important. So when we look at identity, we wanna see where does that identity come from? Uh, what what identity is, why, and here's some questions to ask before we look at it, is why do I do what I do? Why, I, why am I down so much of the time? What motivates me to succeed, to move ahead, to achieve? Why am I angry? Why do I keep falling into sin? What's the driving force behind my decisions? And so much of this has to do with our identity. It's not what you do. This, scripture, this, this statement is really powerful to me. It's not what you do that determines who you are. It is who you are that determines what you do. Think about that. Chew on that. It is who you are that determines what you do. I, I was uh, talking with a man in the last little while, and, and you know, he's had a difficult time. And one of the first comments he made to me when, when we first met and we spent some time together, he says, I'm a failure as a dad, I'm a failure as a husband, I'm a failure as a farmer. He went down through the list of all the things. And so, you see, where does, what's his identity? His identity is, I'm a failure. And so, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. Because, you see, now you are going to make choices and decisions, and you're going to, people who know you and experience relationship with you are going to have, be majorly affected by that negative impact about how you see yourself. So it's not what you do that determines who you are, it's who you are that determines what you do. That's big. So identity is, is how I see myself and how I relate to, to my world around me. That's what identity is. And so anybody recognize that building? Does anybody recognize it? Does anybody know where it's at? What? Dubai. Dubai. Oh, man! Why don't you close your eyes and say, "No." Hey, you are paying attention. Yeah, it's it's the tallest building in the world, currently. There'll be there'll be another taller one someday, but that's the tallest building in the world. It's in Dubai in, in the in the Arab Emirates. Okay. Um, so that's what's interesting about that building is that that island that it's sitting on. It was not there before. That's a man-made island. So, how would you build the tallest building in the world on a man-made island? In fact, uh, do you see that that circle there? Do you know what that circle is? Do you have any idea what that circle is? It's a helipad. It's where they land helicopters, right. It also has a full-size tennis court on it. And you wouldn't get me up there to play tennis, I can promise you. I don't like heights that well, but that's that's pretty big. Now how would you build how would you build that that building on that? How, where would you have to go? Down to what? Bedrock, right? Yeah. You see, so identity, it's it's foundational bedrock. It's one it's one again, once again, it's one of the foundations for life. It's, it's foundational bedrock to know who you are. So where are we going to get our identity? So identity comes from family. You know, uh, I, I run into this over and over again. Okay, so here you had this man who says I'm a failure at this, 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 and this. Guess where his children are going to get their identity from? From a, from a family who is headed up by a man who feels like he's a failure. Do you know what? They're going to struggle. They are going to struggle. Because of who, how he sees himself. So number one, that's probably the major part. Well, you know what the, you know what those reads are like. Uh-huh. Stop it. <laughs> uh, second place is community. We we get our identity out of community, and for the most part, the closest community it may perhaps is church. You know, and other people who don't have church, it might be a lodge, it might be, it, it might be just a the community they live in, but that's the second most important place that we get it. But then the next one is from life experience. We talked a little bit about that yesterday. And you see, life experience gets, gets, our, gets us to where our identity is, and that's where that man was. He failed at this, 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 and this, and so he's a failure. That's how he sees himself. But why God... Well, Okay, here. How m- any truckers in the room here? Any truckers? Ah, there's a trucker. <laughs> Another one. Okay. Uh, what, what do, you th- do you think that guy's happy right now? No, seriously, do you think he's happy right now? Absolutely he is. He's, 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 going, he's probably listening to some good music. He's probably jamming. Man, life's good. What's going to happen shortly? I did have a picture of what happened afterwards. It doesn't look good. I mean, that was disaster. He was within seconds from his life going from joy and happiness to... Okay, that, that, was, that was not going to end nice, but he didn't know it. He didn't realize he didn't put his dump down when he last unloaded. So who are you? Who am I? Am I my past? And this is what I run into over and over again in working with hurting people. You, you, start, you start hearing them tell their story. See, his failure, that's his past. Am I wounded? Was, was I abused? Was, 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 did th- nasty things happen to me? And so, am I spoiled? What if I was, you know, I grew up in a home where my mom was the only child. And her mom was an only child. And my, my grandfather, he grew up poor and, and had to really work hard because his dad was killed when he was like 15 years old. And he was the oldest and he had to take over supporting the family. My dad was one of 11, married an only child. You see... All I can tell you is, is, is all those dynamics have a huge impact on how we do life. So, am I, you know, he, and, and then we looked, at, we looked at some of the illustrations, and we're going to look at it again. What about Joseph? Joseph was a favored child of a favored wife. Uh, am I, was I rejected? We talked about maybe David last night. He was, there was no room for him in the room when Samuel said, to Jesse, his dad you know, Get your sons together I came to anoint a king, a king. And so everyone was called together ex- Except David And my, my performance Maybe I couldn't meet expectations Maybe I couldn't meet dad's expectations Maybe I couldn't meet my job's expectations Maybe I couldn't meet the church's expectations And you see Expectations are huge Because expectations are, are A precursor to being offended And we want to maybe talk about that But you see Maybe you can't meet the expectations of your husband or your wife. It's, it's, you know, is that who I am? Am I what I look like? Appearance is huge. We'll talk a bit, little bit about that this morning. What do I look like? Physical appearance. You know, am, am, I, am I black, white, brown, short, tall, attractive, unattractive, weight? You know, these are all issues that cause us to have body image and it impacts us greatly. It impacts us greatly. Is any of this connecting with you just a little bit? Am I my problems? Well, maybe finances or relationships or maybe health. It all has an impact on us. So my identity, does it align with what God says? Does it align with what God says? And will I agree with what God says? And what does God say? Here's a scripture that I always thought applied to husbands and wives. Can two walk together unless they're agreed? But you know what? I think the scripture really applies to God and his people my relationship with God. Can two walk together, if, if, unless they've agreed? You see how important it is for us to see what God has to say about our identity and then to agree with it and then live according to that agreement. So let's, let's look at it. So here's where God wants us to get our identity. <clears throat> he wants He's our Father and He wants us to get our identity out of who we are as a child of the Father in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. That is so important. You see, we talked about this last night as well, but God the Father is mentioned 18 times all in the New Testament. That's fascinating to me. So when when I run into somebody who's struggling with their identity, I I tell them to camp out in Ephesians chapter one. In Ephesians chapter one is, is where I, and you know, when I was struggling with my own identity, if, you would, if I would open the, my Bible to Ephesians chapter 1, I told you before I read with highlighters, Ephesians chapter 1 is just a mass of color. Because it, it has just it impacted my life. It has changed my life. What you're, hearing, what you're hearing this weekend is coming out of a lot of life experience. It, it has come out of my own hurt and pain, my own journey to find answers and healing. And so when you look at Ephesians chapter 1, let's pay attention to the wording here. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now, in Christ is a very important thing to remember as we look at identity. In identity, who we are as a child of God in Christ is is where we really want to get our true identity out of. In Christ, in him, in the beloved, is mentioned 12 times in chapter one of Ephesians one. In chapter two, it's mentioned nine times. In chapter three, I don't remember, but it also is mentioned. And it depends which version you read. It will have, it might vary a bit if you, but if you count in your, if you read Ephesians one, I have a green highlighter that I highlighted. my And every place where it said in Christ, I, I, I highlighted in Christ, in him, in the beloved. You're accepted in the beloved. You see, because it is in Christ, how do you get in Christ? It's important for us to know how to get in Christ. In, you become in Christ by believing in, in the gift that God gave by becoming man, Jesus becoming flesh, and by believing in him that his death, And his blood paid for your sins and atoned for your sins totally and completely and that by believing in him and believing in his also his death his resurrection and his ascension that is how you become a believer you believe in the work of the cross you believe in the fact that god so loved the world that he sent jesus you believe in the gospel and that belief That faithful belief in the gospel is what produces who you are in Christ. Let's continue. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So, what's interesting here is we're going to run into some interesting words. In love he predestined predestined us. So, here's being chosen. Here's predestined. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons. Through Jesus Christ. Well, that leaves you girls out, don't it? Did you know that in the gospel, when it talks about sons, in the Old Testament, who inherited? Who inherited the sons? The the women can't. Did you know that in the New Testament, we are all sons, men and women? Because we all inherit. It leveled the playing field between male and female when it comes to our, our, our standing, even in the Christian community. And, and if it really bugs you gals about being called sons, now listen, us guys are the bride of Christ. Okay, enough. So he predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with, look what it says, in accordance with the pleasure of his will. Isn't that awesome? In the pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. You see, here it is, in Christ, in him, through Jesus Christ, in the one he loves. You see, it keeps on going. It tells us who we are in Christ. And and what is predestination? What is being chosen? Well, God chose that the way we were going to become his sons was was by believing in Jesus. That's what it means to be chosen. And we're predestined that that is the only way that we are going to have a relationship with him. It's because it's in Christ. That was predestined and chosen from the very beginning. You are chosen because you chose to believe. You choose to believe. In him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might live for the praise of his glory. And when he says we, he's talking about him as a Jew but he's writing to the Galatians, the, I mean, the Ephesians, to the Gentiles, and he says, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. You see, what, what Paul saw is that God was blending two peoples into his children. He was the, child, the, the Jews that were his chosen and the Gentiles who were afar off, he was pulling them all together that in faith they would become one family. That's so important for us to understand. And then look what it says. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Guaranteeing our inheritance. Well, what does guarantee mean? If, if you're guaranteed something, what does that mean? Maybe it's gonna happen, right? It's a sure thing, right? And we're gonna look at We're going to look at what Paul says about a sure hope, okay? Guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. So here we are. Here's seasons of life. There's birth and goes on to death. But we just have birth up to fifty-five years old for right there. But we'll change that in a little bit here. But in life we have desires, we have goals, we have dreams, and. And we all hope that we can just keep on achieving those things and we're going to move on favorably in life. But, you know, I happen to have walked a lot of this these years. I'm at the I'm at the far end of the scale. Hopefully not totally at the end, but I know I'm getting close to the end. And you see, I. I have to come to grips with the fact that so many, I, I did achieve a lot of my visions and my goals and dreams. And that's been exciting. It has been a good life. I've been so blessed. But you know, I had a lot more that I have come to grips with the fact, it's not gonna happen. I don't have enough years left. I don't have enough energy left. I don't have, I don't have enough life left to go. And so you have to come to grips with that. So when I, when I look at this, the choices you make in this period of time in your life are very, very important. It's so good to have you young people here. But the choices you make in this part of your life will impact the rest of your life in a big way. And so it's so important to make those choices wisely. But why do we make the choices? A lot of times, those choices that we make come out of our identity, how we see ourselves. And where where do the foundations of those choices come from? It comes from here. The unchangeables in our lives. The unchangeables in our lives. Uh, you see, and what are the unchangeables? Well, you see, from birth to 12, there's a lot of unchangeables in your lives. And, and some of those unchangeables continue. But you see, you couldn't choose a lot of the things that happened in your life up and from birth until the time you're like 10, 8, 10, 11, 12. And then starting at, at that age, the, that circled part of where the choices are, then you start gaining some autonomy and you start making choices. And parents need to lead their children into that autonomy so they can start or a partial autonomy so they can start making wise choices and healthy choices but so much of the foundations of those choices come from the unchangeables in our lives we're going to talk about those unchangeables those unchangeables have a huge impact on how we make our choices and then the journey you see how we the unchangeables impact our choices our choices impact our journey and and the scriptures tell us to teach. Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. To evaluate where you are, don't just think that, well, life's always gonna continue the way it is. No, make wise choices, redeem the time. So here we go on a little bit further and and there we look at the reward cycle. It's sort of where I'm living and I feel so blessed. But many people get to this time in their life and it's not a reward anymore. They're, they're, They're hopeless, they're helpless, and they're just ready to throw the towel in. You don't, you don't want to live a life. Here you, you know, I remember it was just seemed like yesterday when I was sitting where you're sitting, young people. It was just yesterday when I was 17 and 18. It really was. Anybody else older here that feel the same way? Yeah. It happened. It, how did I get here so fast? Well, it says teach us to number our days. And so I want you to hear a little bit of maybe maybe some wisdom from an old guy that says make wise choices now. It has a huge impact on where you're going. But, so, let's look at identity so we can see where the motivation for those choices come from. So those unchangeables are really big. Help, uh, the, 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 new, the Living Translation says, help us to spend them as we should. Teach us to number our days and help us to spend them as we should. So, here we are. Now, we're gonna, we're gonna look at a character here. Okay, we're gonna look at Joseph. We're gonna look at his unchangeables. Uh, we know, everyone here knows the story of Joseph, but man, he had some unchangeables in his life. Number one, he couldn't choose his parents, right? So what was, what was good or bad about his parents? Well, his mother was Rachel, his father was Jacob, and, and there were all kinds of things going on there. Mom was the favored child. She was the good-looking daughter compared to her sister Leah, and yet Leah got given away first by her dad, trying to get rid of the homely one, I guess. I don't know. Who knows? But we don't know all those things. But there was comparison. Jacob was looking at that. But Joseph was the son of a favored child. His mother was also an idolater, just like her dad was. Remember when they came after her her dad's idols were missing and they came looking? And she claimed to be having her period and sat on stage sitting on the camel seats where they were. The idols were hidden. So we don't know a whole lot, but we know a few things. And so all of this played into his unchangeables. And then because he was the son of a favorite, he became a favorite by his mom and his dad. So he was a favored child. He was a favorite. You think that impacted the way he made choices and decisions? Absolutely. He, you he also, one of his unchangeables was his siblings. You can't control your siblings. Sometimes you'd like to, right? Anybody like to exchange their siblings? Okay, when you're young, that happens a lot, but as you get older, you get to appreciate most of them. But you see, those are unchangeables in his life, but they impacted his choices. So now here comes his choices. So he was proud. He was a proud man, he was a proud young man because of his favoritism, favorite status. You know, he wouldn't have had to choose his favorite coat when he went out to talk to his brothers. You know, he really wouldn't have had to. He could have worn his old coat instead of his new fancy one that, was, that, that his dad had made special for him That everybody, and his siblings all knew that he was a favorite. He wouldn't have had to do that. He wouldn't have had to tell him his dream, especially the part of the dream where they bowed down to him. You see, he wouldn't have had to do that. He was boastful, he was arrogant. He could have left out the bowing down. You see, his unchangeables had a huge impact on the decisions he was making. And so they do for us. The unchangeables have a, a big impact on how we make choices in life. Now we look at Joseph's journey. So he was hated by his brothers. He was thrown into a pit. He was sold into slavery. He was accused falsely. And he was imprisoned. Wow. He then was forgotten by the baker and the butler. And, and there he sat. And there he sat. What about his choices out of that? You see, he made choices out of his woundedness and out of his favoritism, and they weren't healthy choices, but he learned some things out of those choices. And you see, maybe some of us, and this was me, I, I didn't make some good choices that came out of my unchangeables, but hopefully, in some of my life, early life experience, I learned some things, so there's hope for us older ones, that we can learn from some of those things that we... And now we can start making better choices and wiser choices. There's, God is a God of hope. So now his, cho- his choices. Okay, so was, was his choices now going to be out of brokenness or bitterness? You see, if he wouldn't... He had, he had to make some major choosing. He had to deal with who he saw himself as. He had to look at his identity. Because, you see, if he would have went on what happened to him being a favorite, being rejected, being sold, being imprisoned, being forgotten, falsely accused, he could have gotten really, really bitter. And when we are bitter, guess what we do? Bitterness, the root of bitterness, defiles the people around you. That's what the scriptures tell us. So he had to choose. And he did choose. And he could have either been bitter or broken, and he chose to be broken. He started believing that God had a plan for him. And he he stayed with that. And he stayed with that. And he didn't let it go. There was a loyalty to God. Even there he was. There he was in Egypt. No one around him. His his family wasn't around him. Here he was, a young man, full of testosterone, normal sex drive. And there was this beautiful Potiphar's wife. Who would have known? Who would have known? You see, his choices out out of health now, out of brokenness, said, how can I do this great sin against You see, he made choices based on his relationship, his identity as a a child of God, not out of a wounded, messed-up young man from what happened before. There was consistent character. He kept on being, you know, he was the best servant Potiphar had. He was the best prisoner. He was just the man that was consistent of character. He had hope in the face of hopelessness. And then Joseph's reward? Well... Position and power, and he fulfilled God's purposes to save his family from famine. And he says, you meant it for evil when he talked to his brothers, but God meant it for good. You see, those, that's a journey. That's looking at a man's life and saying he had some unchangeables that caused him to make poor decisions that created a real havoc and pain in his life, but that brought brokenness instead of bitterness. That's the key. Trials and pain and pain. And hurt, as we're walking through life, will either make us bitter or it'll make us better. And we have to choose. And we get to choose. We get to choose. God says he created us with purpose. In Psalm 100, he says this. He says, shout for joy to the Lord. Come before his presence with a joyful song. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who hath made us and not we ourselves, we are his people, this should do two things for us, two things it should do for us. Now stop and think about this. We read this scripture and we don't seriously think about what it's saying, but think of this, it gives us self-worth. You, you, we're not a self-made man, we're not a self-made woman. It is he who hath made us and not we ourselves. Listen, that is so crucially important. God did not make any junk. When he made you, he didn't make any mistake. He made you who you are, and God doesn't make any junk. Can you hear that? Okay, But it should do something else. It should keep us from pride and boasting. Because, you see, it is he who made us, not we ourselves. And you know, we have a lot of self-made men. You know, God has blessed us. We've had a very successful business. My grandfather started a power equipment business. We had a very successful business. And, you know, for a time in my life, I took credit for a lot of that but I realize it is only because of God's grace. It is only because of God's grace. I, I didn't do anything better than somebody else would have done, but God's grace was there. We, we should not take, we should, we should work hard and be diligent and be stewards of what God gives us, but we better give him the credit. We better give him the credit. And I wanna give him all the glory because it's, it is him. But it, it puts it in balance, it puts us in balance. It, it should keep us from groveling because we're not worth anything, because God don't make any junk, but it should keep us from boasting because it's he who made us, not we ourselves. So are, you with, are you with me? Okay. God's design is unique. There is nobody else like you. God made you uniquely who you are. There's no one else like you. And somebody else might say, well, that's really a good thing. <laughs> But you see, God made you uniquely who you are, and because he made you uniquely who you are, you are uniquely designed to fulfill a planned purpose that nobody else can fulfill, because you are unique. And so let's look at that. God's design. No one else like you. We're all designed with at least 10 unchangeables. This was life-changing for me when when I understood this teaching many years ago. Number one. We, we, we can't control who our parents are. I, I, years ago, I, there was times when I wish I could have traded parents with somebody else. You know, I, I resented my parents. But you know what? You can't change your parents. Joseph couldn't change his parents. He couldn't. He couldn't. He couldn't choose that this arrogant Jacob was his dad, and he was a. Fa- and he. And he couldn't choose that his dad favored him over all the rest of the brothers. He couldn't choose that he was the son of a favored wife. My, my children are adopted. They could not choose that their biological parents gave them up for adoption. They couldn't choose that. That wasn't their choosing. That is an unchangeable. Can, you, you understand, there are unchangeables in every single one of our lives. You could not choose your parents. My, my children could not choose that we adopted them. They couldn't choose us as mom and dad. They couldn't choose that their bio family wasn't there anymore. You see, that's an unchangeable. We can't choose our parents. We can't choose our time in history. You know, I, I, I usually use Grace as an illustration for this, and that is she loves the Victorian age. She loves Victorian things. Our Part of our living room has Victorian furniture in it, and it's really attractive, She's, she just, she makes our place really lovely to be in. But you know what, if, if she would have been born in the Victorian age, she would have died as a teenager. Because shortly after we were married, and she just turned 18, I, I got her right out of the cradle. Okay? But anyway, uh, Shortly after we were married, it, I don't know how long it was, do you remember? But it was shortly, she had an ovarian abscess, and the doctors didn't catch it. And shortly thereafter, it burst. And when it burst, it totally messed up her insides. And she almost died. She was a very, very sick girl. And, and back then, uh, they, they made some mistakes. But if they would have caught it in time, but you see, that messed up her insides. That's why we, that's why we couldn't have our biological children. So if there, if she, but, but because she wasn't living in the Victorian age, we had access to, to uh, the right medications. We had access to doctors and surgery. And so I have my gal with me today because of that. But if it would have been in the Victorian age, she would have died. She would have died. You don't, you don't, succe- you don't live through peritonitis in the Victorian age. So time and history, we can't change that. Racial background. I can't choose that I happen to ha- be white. My, our one daughter is, is, is part Hispanic, okay? You, can't, you don't choose these things. You don't choose who you are. Uh, y- you don't choose your race. And that's one of the reasons why it is so important for us to realize there is absolutely zero room for racial prejudice in the, believer, in the body of believers. Zero room. Because you didn't choose, nor did the other people choose. This whole racial prejudice thing is, is totally anti-Christianity. It's totally anti-God. We did not choose. Nationality. You know, we, we look at some of the, the, the people around us, and I, I know there for a while, because of us being at war with Iraq and Iran, and, and, and we started calling people towel heads and things like that. G- guess what? They didn't choose that either. We don't choose our nationality, and we better be careful how we handle that. Okay, we didn't choose to be born in, in America and be, be Americans. Okay, we didn't choose that. So let's, let's be careful with that. You don't choose your nationality. You don't choose your gender. And boy, is there a lot of gender confusion going on today. Man, is that messed up, or what? Okay, but we don't choose your gender. I never wished I was a girl. And I, and I hope you gals never wished you were guys. But you know what? A lot of that's happening. And, there's, and it's, it's, totally, it's totally against God's plan. Because you see, God made you a girl if you're a girl. He made you a boy if you're a boy. He gave us our genders. And, and, and that's part of his, that's, the un, that's an unchangeable. I didn't choose that. You didn't choose that. That's an unchangeable. Our birth order. I used to, I used to think my brother, older brother Frank, he's two, years old, two and a half years older than me. And I thought, man, he hasn't made... He got to go places when I couldn't go. Uh, He was given responsibility and I wasn't given responsibility. He would do things I couldn't do. He was bigger, he was stronger. I used to really resent that. You know what, after we were married sometime and we got together one time and I'm there with my brother and we're good friends then, but back then I, I, I would have traded him off the drop of a hat. But I told him how I thought he had it made and he goes, you thought I had it made? I thought you had it made. I had to do all the work. I had to do everything and you, you got away with, yeah, I got pushed out of the crib and you took over. You know, uh, and it's so interesting how you see perspective was totally different. He was seeing it from an older perspective, I was seeing it from a younger perspective. We saw it totally different. We, we each thought the other person had it better. Isn't, isn't that interesting how unchangeables can really mess with them? We don't choose our birth order. How about our siblings? We don't choose our siblings, okay? Our physical features, boy, that's a big one. That's a big one. Our physical features. Wow. You don't choose that. Yeah. Uh, I was always the littlest guy growing up. I was always the littlest guy. I was the littlest guy in class. And I used to really resent that. I used to really resent that. Um, I, I, in school, I had a chip on my shoulder and, and I went to public school all my life and in school I wrestled. And I wrestled because I had a chip on my shoulder. I mean, I, there was two, it was just, it was just that I had a fight for who I was. And, and there was two guys going to go out in that mat and only one was going to win. And, I, and it, I didn't want it to be the other guy. Okay. And so that just really produced a, a drive in me. But I remember walking down the hall and, and we lived, we went to a, a big public school. And I was walking down the hall one time and it was time to change classes and I had, my books under my arm and and there were students going every direction to their different classes and all of a sudden I felt somebody grab me by the head like this and lift me straight up in the air and I got carried down the hall with my feet dangling. Man, it makes you feel like a man. And you know, it was Jack Ruggles and he was our 180 pound wrestler and I was 88 pounds. and He just picked me up lifted me up and he thought this was pretty cool. And you know what, he liked me and I liked him. It wasn't done out of animosity. But do you know what my nickname was when I'd go out on the wrestling match? Go baby, <laughs> bring it on. <laughs> Makes you feel like a man. But you see, there I was, going down the hall, feet dangling, carrying my books, and all these kids were going through the hallway. I'm just telling you, you see, I resented that. Made me angry. You know what's interesting is there was a, a survey given to, and I don't remember if it was Miss America or Miss Universe, but it was a, it was a beauty pageant. And, and they were asked this question, if you could change anything about your physical features, what would you change or would you change it? Every single person, the people that, the, the women that either universe or whatever it was, whichever pageant it was, the people, the women that, that were chosen to be considered the most beautiful, every single one of them wanted to change something. You know, when you look in the mirror, what do you see? You see your nose is too big, your ears are, you, your ears are at the wrong place, right? Once you, yeah, anyway. You see, we, we look and we pick out the flaws and physical features are huge. I resented being small. But today, I feel pretty good about it. I feel, I'm all right, I'm okay. I've accepted where I am. I can't change it anyway. You see, it's an unchangeable, one of the ministers in our church, he and his wife, uh, we used to tease each other because she's like one, and she would call me Shorty and I'd call her Bigfoot. And one, one, one birthday she gave me a birthday card. And, it, and I opened it up and well, on the cover it says, I got something for your birthday you couldn't get for yourself. And then you open the card and it says, this card, it was on the top shelf. Anyway, it's just, you see, it's an unchangeable. She couldn't change it. She was six one, and I have an idea. She resented the fact that she was really tall, too. You see, you don't change those things. That's part of a, That's an unchangeable. Mental abilities. We don't choose our mental abilities. It doesn't matter if you're mentally sharp and somebody else isn't quite as mentally sharp. You didn't choose that. You don't choose your IQ. Aging and death. You don't choose that either. That's, it's a time we're living in. It's where we're going. It's, it's, part, of, it's part of life. So those are all unchangeables. And here's the key. Criticism of unchangeables in ourselves or others is criticizing God. Isn't that amazing? Just think about it. You see because he's the designer and he designed us and if we if we complain against the designer, if we complain against the design, now we're complaining against the designer. Criticism of unchangeables in ourselves or others is criticizing God. Who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Show what is formed, say to him who formed it, why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out the same lump of clay, some pottery for noble purpose, some for common use? You see, we didn't choose. God is the potter. We're the clay. So here's competing identity. Competing identities are, are where I see a lot of people. A lot of people are have competing identities and, and well, let's just look at it. So we're one person at home, okay? We're another person when we're with our parents, another person at work, we're another person at church. You see, those are competing identities. And, and, and that was me. I could be one person when I was at school, another person when I was at home, another person when I was on my own, another person when I was by myself. You see, when we have competing identities, It creates all kinds of problems. James 1.8 says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. When you have competing identities, you're unstable because you're not the same person consistently everywhere. You're a different person. And even even though you can can, uh, fool most people, you don't fool yourself. You know that you're a different person. You know your multiple identities. Even though you're not aware of it, you still know it's there. Here's completing identities. This is really important, who you are in Christ, as a child of God. Who you are as a child of God in Christ produces a completing identity. Because you see, there's still, all those sub-identities are there. So those are sub-identities and they're right. You know, when I'm at work, I'm gonna talk work things. When I'm at home, I'm gonna talk home things. When I'm at church, I'll talk talk whatever we we choose to talk about. So we do have those sub-identities and they're healthy and they are right and they're okay because sub-identities are there. But here's what happens when you have a primary identity as a child of God, it produces a consistency. Because you see, our words and attitudes and behaviors are what people see in us and they experience in us. And you see, when we have the competing identities, if I'm with my friends and we're off on vacation somewhere, I might act one way. Morally, uh, honestly, dishonestly, but when I'm at church, I can really put on a show and let everybody think that I'm the best thing that ever happened. I could do that. I could lead singing. I could teach Sunday school, but I could live a a double life when I was somewhere else. That's a double-minded person, and they're unstable. God wants us to have completing identities as knowing who we are as a child of God so that now it doesn't matter where I'm at, there's going to be a consistency about I'm going to be honest, I'm going to love beauty, I'm going to, I'm going to care for people, it's going to be, it's going to be my, my attitudes and my actions are going to be controlled because of who I am and how I see myself as a child of God, valued. God didn't make any junk. I didn't make myself. It is because of him I have tremendous value. Now, consider Paul's prayer for his people in Ephesians 1. He prayed that they would have a heart understanding of what they already have in Christ Jesus. So in the first part that we read in Ephesians there, had in Christ, in him, in the beloved. And in in Ephesians one, it's it's around 12 times. But now you get down to, I think it's verse 17 where he starts talking about, uh, well, let's look at it. Here he says, I, I like doing crazy things with PowerPoint, but just look what he says here. I keep asking the God of our Lord Jesus Christ The glorious Father. Yeah, the glorious Father. You see, he saw God's glory. Last night we talked about his glory being who he was. Compassionate, merciful, forgiving, slow to anger. All that, that's his glory. And and Paul saw that glory. And he says, may the glorious Father give you the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation so that you may know him better. That's what we talked about last night. And he continues this prayer and he says this, I keep asking that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know. And look what he says, the hope to which he has called you. Did you know that you're called to hope? What does that hope look like? I I remember when my mother was was dying of, of heart disease. She had congestive heart failure. And you know, one of the positive things about the fact that it was a lingering death. And I got to spend a lot of time with her. My father was killed in a truck accident, and bam, he was gone. Uh, But with my mother, I could spend time with her. And do you know what? It was a joy that I I could show my mom how to have a sure hope. Because, you see, she grew up all her life as, well, I hope I'm good enough to be saved. I hope I'm saved. I hope I can be good enough. And I just hope, I hope, I hope. Well, see, that's not a sure hope. That's a fearful hope. But look what Paul says here. That you may know the hope to which he has called you. And and, in Titus 1-2, look what Titus 1-2 says. Listen to the words. A faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. Do you hear that? That's an absolute sure hope that if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, it's already a given. You can walk away from him. He's not walking away from you. But if you are in Christ, you have an absolute sure hope. You don't have to fear death. I'm not looking forward to dying because I happen to enjoy life. But I don't have to be terrified by death because he gives us a sure hope. A sure hope. And then it says, his incomparably great power. We're going to be looking at that later when we look at, I think it's this afternoon, when we look at forgiveness. But then he, he talks about riches. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. You see, this is Paul's prayer for them. And here's here's key. When, you, when we look at it in, in, uh, in forgiveness this afternoon, riches, you, if you don't understand your riches, you can't forgive. Just hang on to that one, okay? When we do forgiveness, if you don't hang on to who, how, if you don't know how rich you are, you can't forgive somebody. We're gonna, you're gonna, hopefully, hopefully you'll see that application. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being. And then he says in Ephesians at the at the very end there, he says. In, well, let's go Second 2 Corinthians first. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. You see, we, we have, we're in vessels that decay, get sick, die, get broken. And Ephesians 1, 19 through 20, look what it says here. You see, his incomparably great power is what it says right here. His incomparably... Where's my pointer? Right there. His incomparably great power for us who believe. And Ephesians 1 tells us what that, uh, 19 tells us what that power is. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand. Now stop and think about it. Do you hear that? It was mighty power that raised Jesus from the dead, and he says, that same resurrection power is in you. You see that? It's in you. There is this awesome power, indescribably power, that is in you. Who be- and, and, and who's it for? Who is it for? It's for those who believe. It's not for those who work hard enough. It's not those who perform well enough. It's for those who believe. Faith. Believing. Believing. And you have that power within you. That's Paul's prayer. Man, I camp out in this stuff. I camp out in this stuff. I do. You see, positional truth in Christ. We're chosen by God. And I gave you a handout there. And we, I, I, This handout, that handout isn't for you to go over here in, in, in our session, in our class. That's for your homework. On the back, it has all those empty, empty uh, lines. I would suggest if you're struggling with your identity, use that for your devotions for a while. Look up those scriptures and then then personalize it right in there. The first one is at the top there. It says an example there, EX as an example. It shows how you personalize it. So when you read those scriptures, personalize it and write in there, I am. I am. And then look what that scripture says. Because it won't put it in those terms, but God wants us to personalize it and internalize it. We're chosen by God. We're accepted in the beloved. Isn't that awesome? We are accepted in the beloved. Who's the beloved? Jesus. Because we're in Jesus, we're accepted. Wow. Jesus says in John 17, I can't remember which verse it is, but he says, Father, I'm trying to tell them that you love them as much as you love me. Now, that's an unbelievable statement. Can can you yourself, can 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 you believe that God loves you as much as he loves Jesus? Can you believe that? That's what that's what Jesus is saying. Jesus says to his father, I'm trying to tell him, Father, that you love them as much as you love me. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. You see, the good news is beyond our description. It's it's too good to be true, but it's true. That's pretty fascinating. We we are, we have redemption in Christ. We are secure in him. We are seated at God's right hands. We are his workmanship. We're incredibly loved. All those are in Ephesians, the first three chapters. Now, here's here's something so important. Paul Paul divides almost all of his writings into two parts, positional truth and practical life application. He does it in Ephesians. Ephesians has six chapters. Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 are positional truth, who you are in Christ. 4, 5, and 6 is practical life application. How does it look like when, it's, when who you are in Christ is lived out in everyday life? Colossians has four chapters. Colossians 1 and 2 is positional truth. Colossians 3 and 4 is practical life application. Romans, it changes between 12 and 13, and it's a little bit not as clear as the other ones. Galatians is, uh, I think the transition is between 4 and 5. But it's, he always divides it. So I want to show you something here. So... Somehow I, I, I bump things here, I think. Okay, here we are. Uh, we already did that. Ephesians 1 through 2, 3, 1, 2, and 3 is positional truth in Christ. And you have to receive it. You can't achieve it. You can't work for it. You cannot work for it. So Ephesians 4 through 6 is practical truth applied. So look what it says here. Chapter 4, st- verse 1 starts out, As a prisoner for the Lord then... What's the then, there for? Well, because of 1, 2, and 3. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. The calling you've received is 1, 2, and 3. Now live the life worthy of that calling, 4, 5, and 6. Does that make any sense? Are you with me? That changes the way we look at the gospel. It changes the way we look at religion and, and, and the gospel. It changes the way we look at church. It changes the way we look at our Father God. And he continues, and he says... Here's the practical application. He says, be completely humble and gentle. That's chapter 4, verse 2. It says, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Why do we have to bear with one another in love? It's because if you live with me, you have to bear with me. And if I live with you, I might have to bear with you. But I need bearing with. Why? Because we have rough edges. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I grew up, I went through two church divisions. All I can tell you is, is I never want to go through another one. I've had enough of that stuff. Hey, what happens is, is, is he says make every effort to keep the unity of the faith. You see, but here's, here's, here's the thing that I see. I, I grew up listening to a lot of sermons out of the practical life application parts of Ephesians and Colossians and Romans and Galatians. I heard very little out of the positional truth parts of it. You pay attention. Most of the sermons I heard came out of the last second half of those, of those books. Why? Because it's practical application, and we as Anabaptists know how to do that, right? And we can do a pretty good job of it. Okay. So he says, make every effort. And then he says, husbands, love your wives. Wives respect. Children over your parents. Parents train. And then he says, put on the whole armor, and then stand, and then fight. Fight and stand. You see, that's the practical life application of who you really are in Christ. But if you don't know who you are in Christ, you can't hardly do the second part. It wears you out. If we build our identity on any created thing, we have a radically unstable identity because created things move, and they die, and they go away, and they change. In Christ, all the fullness of the Godhead lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ. That's who you are. You have been given fullness in Christ. So, here's, here's a little goofy illustration of what I've been trying to say, okay? The grace and truth model, here's grace and truth model. This is what, this is what we wanna look at. This is, this is where we should be. But the grace and truth model is here. You see, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 is positional truth. Peter does the very same thing. Peter 1 and 2 is positional truth, okay? The cart is life application. Ephesians 4 through 6, this is what it looks like when you have positional truth. And 1 Peter 2 through 5 is practical life application. Here's what it looks like. You see, the positional truth is your identity. It's your identity. And the life application is grateful obedience. Can you, hear, can you see this and, and hear this? It's grateful obedience because of, of the huge amount of love and, and strength and and. And design and care that God put into our redemption. And, and all that it means to be adopted as sons and daughters of him. Who you are. Your identity as a child of God gives you. You see, the, the, the horse is the power to pull the cart of life application. So let's look at a different model. Let's look at a, let's look at a, the scripture always puts the horse in front of the cart. Paul always puts the horse in front of the cart. Do you ever, you've seen horse and buggy Mennonite, horse and buggy Amish, some of, you know, uh, some of you have a lot, some experience with that. I never saw an Amish buggy yet being pushed by a horse. It's always pulled, because you see there's, the horse always goes first, the the power, the power is in the horse, The, the power is in your identity so you can live it. And if you're taught to live it without giving the power, you fail. And so this is the law-based model. It's life application, but it's, it's performance trying to gain God's approval and trying to get my brothers and sisters approval. And if you're giving a horse, it's a tiny one, it's on behind. That's, that's, the, that's the law-based model. It doesn't work. It's why we see so much failure in that system. But then the opposite, the old pendulum swings and we go over to a, you know, where is your identity? It's not there, so the power is not there. But here's the grace-based model. The grace-based model is it's all about who you are in Christ, and they give you a great big horse. And if there's a cart, it's on behind, but it doesn't have much in it. Okay, so it doesn't matter which side of the fence you're on, whether it's law or grace. How about grace and truth? Grace and truth. It puts it in balance. It gives you the power to pull the horse that pull the cart, and the cart is not performance to to gain approval. It's you, you you obey out of gratefulness because of what God did for you is that are you with me are you with me okay choose to believe what God says about you how can two walk together unless they agree embrace the same thing that God says in his word become who you are in Christ it's not what you do that determines who you are it's who you are that determines what you do any comments any questions identity's big It's so important that we get our identity out of who we are as a much-loved, chosen, predestined in Christ to be his children. Your thoughts? Sure, Jesus removed all curses. <laughs> you know, the, the playing field totally, Jesus totally leveled the playing field. Are you suggesting by that then that before Jesus that that may have been a dependable viewpoint? I, I still don't think so because I don't think it was God's viewpoint. I think it was people's behavior. It's people's way of, of seeing life. And it goes back to it would go back to that handout I had last night on, uh, on, on if, you, if you had any time to look over that, the reason why all the sin and corruption that's going on in our world is because we've abandoned the rock. And if we stayed with the rock, because his words are like dew, are like water, and they bring growth and refreshment, even in the Old Testament. But because people walked away from the rock, they, they would put those, yeah. I, I, I don't know, I, I, that's my viewpoint. I don't think there was room for prejudice back then. Well, in fact, I haven't been able to find that in the scriptures at all. Mm-hmm. It's something somebody conjured up. Mm-hmm. And people with the with desire to find a reason to be prejudiced have grabbed that thought and run with it, even I've heard it in my day from Christian people. Absolutely. Grace and I talk about that. We grew up with our grandparents looking down their noses at black people our grandparents. And that's not okay. Evidently, it seemed like Moses had a black wife. Okay, I, we don't know that, but she was an Ethiopian. Was she or not? I don't know, it wasn't there. But there's no room for prejudice in God's people. No room, yeah, thank you for that though, thank you. Any other comments? Yeah, Just be, I, I was just thinking about, my, our daughter is, is part Hispanic. I, I sort of get jealous of people who have pretty color in their skin like that. Anyway, never mind. <laughs> they're they're better looking than we are. Okay, anyway. I think it helps us to realize the fact that we are all the same race. Yeah. I mean, different nationalities, but there's only one human race. Yeah, they're, and we're all God's children. We are all God's children. And, and you see, what happens is, is we, we start getting prejudiced when we fail to see every person as being created in God's image. It's why God said anybody who takes a life should die at the hands of men. He says that. Uh, so he's, he's saying, he, and he actually says, it because they are created in my image. Go ahead, Phil, you were getting ready to say something. Well, G- Jesus levels every playing field. Okay? Um, the ground's level at the foot of the cross. I love the last chapter of Romans. In the last chapter of Romans, it's uh, I, I'm going to go on what's in my memory, but he says, uh, he, "What does he say?" I Tertius, I'm writing this greeting, and they talk about meeting in the home of Erastus, the city chamberlain, okay? And, or or was it Gaius, Gaius the homeowner, and they met with Erastus, the city chamberlain, and they met with Quartus, okay? And Jason and Sosipidar, and and all those. Now, does anybody know who Tertius and Quartus were? Anybody know who Tertius and Quartus were? Tertius is third, Quartus is fourth. They didn't name slaves. They numbered them. And there you have, in the church of God, two slaves, the city chamberlain, the homeowner, and all these other brothers and sisters. Do you think the ground's level at the foot of the cross? Absolutely it is. And, yeah, maybe you have some thoughts on that. Let's, I want to hear your thoughts. Yes, yes. Our response is our responsibility to be the same person wherever. And peer pressure really wants to work against that. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Anyone else? The brain can only hold what the seat can endure, and we're probably about the end. Okay. Ready for a break. Okay, blessings.